Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Making Milestones podcast. I hope everyone is doing well in this new year. I am happy to announce that we are no longer under water and snow here in BC, Um, but we might be again soon, so who knows? Anyways, I wanted to make a podcast to talk about some topics pertaining to horses as per usual, but I also wanted to connect it back to neurodivergency in people because I think that it is an interesting topic and I've noticed some parallels um, in horse training and horse care uh, and myself as a neurodivergent person that I thought was very interesting and I wanted to see other people's opinion and just kind of share my thoughts because I think that a lot of people who achieve the most success with animal training and are most adaptable tend to actually be neurodivergent people because I feel like we have more of an ability to empathize with the idea of being forced to mask certain behaviors in order to comply with the status quo, if that makes sense. Um, And of course, horses don't know what our status quo is, so I'm not saying that horses are knowingly altering their behaviors to appeal to people, but they're learning through trial and error in our training systems that they have to mask certain behaviors to avoid punishment. And we also completely ignore certain more subtle signs of stress and take it as signs of calm. For example, this freeze response in horses. People see a horse who is too scared to move or who is just standing there allowing someone to continue to do something to it in like a desensitization activity, for example, um, like covering them with a tarp. People will see horses that are standing really tense with rigid posture and their eyes really wide and they will still assume that that horse is calm simply because it is not running away. And this is a concerning thing because it essentially justifies flooding animals. And then when they do react, people will be very quick to be like, oh my God, they reacted out of nowhere, like unpredictable horse, malicious horse. This horse needs to be dealt with. And really it's the person who has just not been adept at listening to the horse. And um, for me personally, I wanted to talk a little bit about my ADHD and neurodivergency as well as like my growing up riding and training horses like I loved horses from a very young age I was playing with like briar horses as soon as I could like walk and talk and as soon as I could verbalize it I was asking for riding lessons on horses and I started riding at age four and I was already like a very naturally animal driven empathetic person who just loved horses so in order for me to learn how to ride in the environment that I did I had to have a lot of my kindness and empathy trained out of me because I was always constantly encouraged to use like punishing tactics when horses didn't do what I wanted or if they wouldn't go to just kick them really hard or if they wouldn't stop to just yank on their mouth and not consider how the horse was feeling and this is something that I would have done in the past it all got trained out of me and I found that very interesting because it led me to down a path where I was just like perpetually frustrated and irritated and upset and I couldn't really figure out why. It made it really hard to work with horses who were frustrating too because it made my first response to any misbehavior to be anger. And the reason why I wanted to bring this up is because it just creates this this toxic mentality where you are viewing the horse as like your adversary and especially for people who struggle with emotional control, which is, like, something that a lot of neurodivergent people or people with ADHD like me might struggle with. Being consistently forced to, like, mask your empathy in what would have been your normal response and then encouraged to use a punisher is, like, very toxic because it's giving you a means of, like, easily taking out your lack of emotional control on an animal that cannot advocate for itself or really loudly say whether or not it's scared or in pain like horses are very adept at masking how they are feeling already because it keeps them safe from predators but we require them to mask even more because we punish away certain behaviors and yeah I found it interesting because I think that we create a very toxic environment and I also wanted to talk about um human society and how I think that perpetuates our treatment of animals because human society is very punishment based and based on aversives and making people do things because if they don't they it's like do or die basically like for example 
a lot of us work jobs where we are underpaid and underappreciated and we're not working them because we enjoy the job where we find it rewarding. We are working them because the alternative to not having that job and not being abused by your employer is living on the streets without any health care or house or roof over your head, no one caring about food, no social resources provided. So you're in this state of desperation where you have to do these certain things in society whether or not you feel you're being fairly treated or not. Because if you don't do them, it'll just get a whole lot worse. And there is no clear way out. There's no obvious way out of this. Um, and I think that how a lot of us feel being trapped in that mindset in the society, a lot of us could do our horses a service if we draw that as a parallel to how the modern horse is kept. Um, because, like, for me, like, I'm lucky that I do work my own business and that I have more control over what I do because of that. But what I will say is, like, a lot of people who want to become horse trainers, they will glorify and kind of make the job into just being, like, what it would be like when horses are your hobby. And it's not that. As soon as something stops becoming a hobby, it is a job. And even if you like that job, most days it's still work and it's still inherently different than the context of if it's just a hobby and when I started getting into horse training it was really frustrating because I felt even more trapped than I did in the mindsets that I was taught in the past I felt trapped because I could know what was right for the horse and I could advocate for them and still have that ignored and then have the horse either removed from my program because of that or the owner basically try to pressure me into doing stuff that I wasn't comfortable with solely to get the horse through a program faster and achieve x destination faster and it made it so toxic and hard to deal with that, like, honestly, I experienced a lot of behavioral problems having to deal with this. And I would also say, like, even just the general way I was taught to handle horses, it created behavioral problems and frustration and conflict behaviors that would arise. And I wouldn't necessarily attribute to what caused it, but they would be there because of it. And... This is something that I notice in working with horses, and I see it all the time in people when I see them, like, laying into and abusing horses. People will feel trapped and frustrated with their horse because their horse will be constantly over threshold, really stressed, difficult to deal with, having dangerous behaviors that scare them, difficult to ride, making their rides less enjoyable, and the person will be frustrated because all they want to do is enjoy their horse. But on the flip side, what these people fail to recognize is that, one, their horse is living in, like, very less than ideal circumstances. Like, for example, we have horses who are stalled 24-7, and when they do come out of their stall, they're going to be wearing a chain over their nose or a lip chain or some type of aversive pressure to stop them if they try to let go of any of the excess energy that they have been building from being stalled. And... When these horses do act up after being stalled too much or having no socialization or going hours without hay and having like a sensitive ulcerated stomach, then they get punished for it and people get frustrated and they'll just go, wow, this is such a bad horse. This horse is just a complete dunce. Like this horse is ignorant. This, this is a bad horse. And they take out all this anger on the horse and blame the horse for their lack of ability to deal with, uh, inappropriate living circumstance just because some horses might cope with it better and we see this happening to people too like we are living in a disordered society that cares more about capitalistic output than we do with the well-being of people and we punish people for not being able to cope with that well. We punish people for having severe depressive episodes or anxiety due to the pressures of the world and the punishing nature of it. And we blame them for their disordered behavior that at its core is caused by how we run society. And we do the same to our horses because we get mad at horses for disordered behaviors that are the result of our improper management. And we blame the horse for their lack of ability to handle poor management. And then the horse is just perpetually frustrated, overstimulated, not having its needs met, but then being punished for its attempts to communicate this or its attempts to rectify the inner turmoil that it's experiencing. And 
it's so counterproductive because basically we're creating this entire horse industry that rewards horses who cope a little bit better with mistreatment and don't complain as much, but punishes all of the ones that are trying to expose to us the problems within our industry and the problems within our care. We punish them for not being as able to cope with that. And like, I know people are probably going to listen to this and be like, you're fucking crazy for comparing this to capitalism and how people live in, like, the human environment, but it's not at all that far off. And even just looking at, like, the instance of mental health issues in human society, like, if you look at that purely from, like, the statistical evidence showing the prevalence of these disordered behavior issues and, like, the po- the percentage of the population affected by it, it makes it abundantly clear that the way we are living is not healthy, that it's not conducive to happiness, that it's not good for long-term health, that there's a lot of problems with it and people experience behavioral deficits because of it. But, Our entire society is so based on ignoring that and encouraging people to mask behaviors and trying to punish behaviors rather than dealing with the actual cause of them that we never question it. Like, even the entire idea of, like, our prison system and how we look to hold people accountable, all it looks to do is punish what they did wrong and not teach them what was wrong, why it was wrong, and what to do instead. Um, And I know this is coming off, like, off the the horse topic a little bit, but this is why I'm very, like, anti-prison system because I don't think that prisons should exist if we aren't putting out people, like, if we're not releasing people who are better than who they came in as. Like, prisons should be a rehabilitative facility that work to undo problems and behavioral disorders that people developed that caused them to act out and do behaviors that are inherently wrong. The entire premise of, like, a prison system should not be to punish the person. It should be to rehab them because a lot of people will commit crimes when they are desperate and behaving erratically due to external issues. Um, or due to, like, bad family problems and other stuff that led them down this path. They're not just doing it for the sake of being bad. And, like, sure, maybe some people are truly evil and they do things solely just to be bad, but that doesn't mean that you can't reform their behavior. And also, since we haven't been trying this on a large scale, we can't say whether or not it's possible anyways. Um, And, yeah, like, it's just, it's so flawed because, like, we know punishment isn't really good at affecting behavioral change and like go look at like the re-offense rate for U.S. prisoners and you cannot tell me that they are not running this system to their advantage just to get free labor and keep people in prison because like why why do you want people re-offending and returning to prison more often than they actually stay out that shows that your prison system literally does not do its intended purpose which should be rectifying behavior otherwise if the intent is not to fix behavior then it's like why are we even letting people out of prison then because all you're doing is making their lives worse making them more of a social pariah making it harder to get jobs and then turning them loose back into the very world that caused them to have behavioral disorders without providing them any fucking help and we also encourage people to look down on people who've had like legal problems or disordered behaviors or have done things wrong because of issues in their life we we encourage looking down on them and we see this with a lot of like mental health stigma too which is getting better over time but I still see it the most with like how people view addiction for example people view the addiction as a choice like it's very common for people to perceive that as a choice they will go like oh well just don't use drugs but like what they fail to recognize is as soon as something becomes an addiction that is the absence of it being a choice which is why it is classified as a mental health issue in the DSM-5 because it is the absence of choosing. Addiction is where you stop making good, healthy decisions and start deferring to instant gratification that whatever your addiction is provides for you despite the fact that it causes your life further issue and that it's not healthy or that it causes you to put other necessary things on hold to defer to that addiction. It's not a choice and it's something that stems from an inner trauma, a desire to cover up and mask and not feel certain behaviors. Certain behaviors that could be getting addressed through rehab and mental health help and support or fixing societal problems like homelessness and helping people who have disabilities and other things that make their life inherently harder. But no, 
we don't do that. The way we've set up the world is basically, like, anyone who suffers from, like, any type of mental illness, any type of disability, anything that makes them even the slightest bit different from the societal norm, they have to work that much harder in an attempt to keep up, otherwise they'll fall through the cracks and no one really cares. There's not really a lot of help for them. And obviously, for those of you who are listening from... to this podcast from a different area. Like, if you're in a more progressive socialist country in Europe that is already, like, doing a lot of these things that I speak of, like, I think Finland's one of the ones that has, like, a really amazing prison system that has shown to do a lot more rehabilitative work than what we see here in North America. If you're from someplace like that, a lot of what I'm saying might not be hitting, but in North America, specifically Canada and the U.S., I just see these problems on such a frequent basis and then I also think that the problems that like our society encourages and creates they cause people to be cruel to their animals and to do unfair engage in unfair training methods and justify them because it's so normalized and in front of them and the other issue with animals is that it provides these disordered people these frustrated people who are looking for an outlet whether it's healthy or not it provides them with a very easy means of establishing control in their life where they might feel they lack it so for example someone who feels they have no control over their job their living situation and general societal perception of them and doesn't like this may try to establish control by controlling their horse's life and micromanaging the life of that horse. And this can look like stalling the horse 24-7, not wanting the horse to go with other horses in fear of the horse getting a mark on it, wanting the horse to be constantly in, like, a certain living situation out of fear for lack of control, punishing the horse for anything that they stray from what you want them to do, and being over-punishing because you are that rigid and strict with what you want to see from your horse. And the problem with people that do this a lot is that it's, first of all, reinforcing because it allows you to take out your frustration. So you do it more. And I will readily admit I have seen this phenomenon in myself. It was taught to me by other professionals, numerous professionals at that. And honestly, even nowadays, like 20 years later after I started riding, it is still pretty hard to go and find a trainer that is not going to encourage me to do these types of things. And in finding a trainer, what I have to understand now is that a lot of trainers that I work with are not going to completely see eye to eye with me and they're probably going to encourage me to do some very things that I used to do and used to be encouraged to do in my earlier years and I have to accept that and kind of develop a rapport with trainers so that they understand where I'm coming from and alter their practices to suit me more and I have to make those demands but that it's unrealistic to find a local trainer that completely abides by my beliefs because it's that abnormal in the horse world and it's that compelling for people to take out their frustrations on their horse. Um, And like, since I was taught from a young age by numerous trainers to do this very same thing, and it's not even like I stayed with the same role model for my entire riding career. I rode with a lot of different trainers. So the reason why I bring that up is because a lot of people who might have been lucky enough to have better role models earlier on don't necessarily understand the struggle of people who want to do better and who want to learn and change their practices but have such piss poor access to role models to help them do that and are completely at the mercy of people who are advertising themselves as experts and this is why it's hard because these people have bad role models that are encouraging them to do bad things but it's hard to find better ones and Sure, I I could have altered my riding practices earlier and done better by my horses sooner if I had those role models, but they're hard to find. And, like, even when I switched trainers, we would have people who would have all these credentials at shows, like, what they've won and, like, what they've, their training license and all these things that are encouraged here. And they're really meaningless in the grand scheme of things because they don't really require any type of real expertise or knowledge on horse behavior and how they think and how certain training methods affect them. A lot of what we do doesn't require any knowledge of that. And the certifications here are kind of a load of shit. Like I'm speaking for Canada where I live because a lot of them are just testing your ability to teach people concepts specifically pertaining to like, this is how you pilot a horse around an arena. It's not about this is how the horse feels about this type of method versus this type of method. And this is why this one's more ethical. They don't do that. And there's very, very few certification boards that allow you to do that. IAABC is the only one I can think of that actually emphasizes how 
the animal as the learner experiences what the trainer is doing. And that's why I chose to get my certification through them because I respect that more. Like there is no more important opinion in animal training than the opinion of the animal because people are inherently corrupt and biased and they're going to want to do stuff that serves them better and try to justify it using like, oh, it doesn't harm the animal, whether it does or not, because it serves them. There's a motivation for them to do these things because it is advantageous to them as the person. And that motivation makes it really hard to, like, check your biases and let go of things because the less you know, the less you know, the more you think you know. Um, And I I definitely experienced that because as I started my learning journey, I started to realize how little I knew and how many misconceptions I had been taught. And it was eye-opening. And as soon as that started to happen, it became a lot more comfortable to undo old biases and admit to my wrongdoings, which was really, really hard for me to do in the past because... I viewed any admittance of not knowing something as, like, a weakness and viewed it as me not being a good enough horse person, and I didn't want to admit to that. And my role models were very much the same. So I didn't really have anyone to discourage me from being this way, and it was just consistently repeated in front of me where I could learn and see how people behaved and reacted. Like, I was around trainers who did not know very much but thought that they knew a lot and have very limited behavioral knowledge and therefore a very inflated ability of ignoring how the horse is communicating with them. And they passed that on to me. And so, like, undoing that repeated reinforcement of, like, getting some level of, like, enjoyment or frustration relief out of punishing your horse or using harsher training methods and showing the horse who's boss undoing that was like it takes time like I'm gonna be honest like that like if you're taught as your first way of handling any misbehavior to punish it becomes like an on-the-fly response like for example my trainers in the beginning told me any horse that bites needs to be smacked in the nose. It's unacceptable. Even young horses, they need to learn how not to do this, and this is how they learn. I was never offered an alternative means of doing this or told why they were communicating that way or what it means or that not all biting is aggression or anything. I was just told that. So as a four-year-old onwards, this is how I handled nipping horses. And yes, you can say that's wrong, but also how the hell is a four-year-old supposed to know that, especially when they're role models and everyone around them is representing the same behavior. And even if you're not four years old, how is anyone who thinks they are not knowledgeable on horses supposed to really fight against that when it is so hard to find people that don't perpetuate that? It makes you feel helpless. And so, like, that was my go-to response for certain types of behaviors, and undoing that habit took, like, a lot of self-reflection and a lot of desire to want to fix it, and a lot of, like, self-guided learning, because as I said, it was very, very hard to find role models that didn't, at least in some capacity, encourage this very type of behavior. And I want people to be aware of that, because, like, people... Like, yes, yes, you can learn, can and should learn on your own time, and, like, it's good to question your role models and do your own research, and we should all encourage that, but also it's really problematic when we start to make it the responsibility of the learner to, even in their lack of experience, know how to differentiate between what is a credible source and what isn't when there's so much rampant information in the horse world. And this isn't to say that you shouldn't hold people accountable just because they might have learned wrong habits from other trainers. Absolutely still use accountability and still try to educate people. But at the same time, we need to make it more directed at like the actual trainers and make it more directed at regulatory boards and go why are we allowing people to offer professional services when they are spreading rampant information that is damaging to horses and people alike because when it's this rampant it is very hard for people to find the right type of role model like it is so ingrained in our society that it is disheartening and hard for people to find the right type of role model and for people who are super empathetic and who do have the backbone to say no and to not and to just really stick to that this is wrong despite the fact that many people that are super prominent in the horse world and perceived as experts will say the exact opposite a lot of these types of people just choose not to ride because it's too disheartening to try to find a place that supports their views and so those types of people will then typically take on the tone of thinking all types of riding and horse care is abusive and that's not 
that unfair because it's what their introduction to the horse world was is seeing that as like the go-to thing and having a hard time finding another means of doing something and then we have people who just vehemently hate the horse world and perpetuate misinformation that's far on the opposite side and claim that horses are better off without people simply because they've had such a bad intro to the horse world and it's kind of like this self-fulfilling prophecy of like creating our own problems and then being mad about the existence of the problems like for example now that horse people are becoming more adept at reading subtle behavioral signs and noticing subtle signs of stress we have the really opposite crowd that very much still abides by dominance theory being like oh everything is abuse now no one can post anything everyone's saying that horses are stressed and it's like well, yeah, because they are on a pretty rampant level, but they try to do it as like, oh, woe is me, like these crazies, these tree-hugging hippies, PETA supporters, and they take it to like the far opposing side and, and assume that every single person who holds a view that is newfangled to them has to be on the far opposite side and supporting PETA and just anti-everything horse. And I've had people even say this to me and it's like, dude, I literally ride my horses. Like, clearly I'm not anti-riding because I'm advocating for different ways of doing that, you know? But they don't want to hear it and it's like, it feels like an attack to them to have to call the question something they've learned over so many years. And I get it because if you've dedicated this much time to learning how to do something a certain way, it is so discouraging to have to relearn that and it's so much harder. But honestly, like if you're just taught the correct way from the beginning, which is what we can allow for new equestrians to have access to if we reform the horse world, we can teach them all the correct way from the beginning and help them avoid the stress and this feeling of being trapped and not able to to really continue pushing forward in the horse world or feeling like there's so many conflicting views that you don't know what to do or that you're helpless because there's no kind way of doing something. There's too much back and forth. There's too much conflicting information. If we start to normalize critical thinking and encourage factual information being passed around and accepted, then this opens the door for people who are new to horses to come in and learn things correctly the first time, which then will allow us to avoid all of that stress and all that trapped feeling we experience. Because it's really, really hard not to react with anger or frustration if you're constantly dealing with disordered horses and people who react dangerously or mean and you don't know why they're behaving this way, you don't know what's causing it, and you don't know where to start in addressing it other than punishing the behavior itself. That is discouraging and it's really hard to not start to become an, a massive abuser yourself if that's the environment you're in. Um, and for me, this is what I find about a lot of like traditional boarding barns and training barns is I feel trapped as a trainer when I'm invited to places with bad management and I see all these negative behaviors from the horse that are directly a result of their lack of ability to be stress-free and live a healthy life in time outside of training and I feel trapped because I'm like okay so like basically my only option is to tell the owner like hey you really need to look at moving your horse somewhere better and probably a good 60 to 80 percent of people won't do that because they right away like if you're a new trainer that they're just inviting to their facility and that's the first thing you say or one of the first things you say they're typically not very receptive and so for me I feel trapped and that this is with my knowledge now that I've gained back in the day when I would feel trapped in this way and I was still helping work with difficult horses I would end up directing my frustration and anger at the horse because I wouldn't understand why they were behaving the way that they were they wouldn't understand why I was reacting with frustration or anger or why I wasn't communicating with them and then I'd create all of these behavioral problems where the horse is like bucking bolting being like reacting fearfully running away not wanting to be caught having a meltdown every time they go off property and I would be it's not like I wanted to perpetually be dealing with this but we were both frustrated because neither me nor the horse knew how to communicate with the other and we didn't know the best way of handling the situation and I was doing a bad job as the more intelligent species in the equation of getting to the bottom of why the horse was behaving a certain way because I'd only been taught to view behavior as what it is, just the behavior, not as a symptom of another problem. So a horse offers a behavior I didn't want to see. It bothers me. It makes me view the horse as challenging me or trying to dominate me and then instead I punish the horse and dominate them back, which removes all forms of communication and just teaches the horse that I'm a dictator. And then... 
I have more and more problems over time that are never fully addressed, that the horse will mask for certain periods of time and then won't mask when they can no longer take it. And I'm frustrated and upset at this dangerous horse that is endangering me as the trainer, but really it is all my fault and it is all related to my lack of ability to address the underlying cause. But when you're trapped in that situation and you don't realize that there's an underlying cause, all it gives you license to do is just be mad at the horse, which first of all robs you of like all joy of actually enjoying the process of riding and training. And it makes you fixated on the destination of, I don't like this behavior, I want it gone, this is my goal with the horse this is where we're getting there. And then you get mad at the horse when they interrupt your goals in any way. It becomes the horse's problem when they aren't helping you in facilitating the creation of your goals and your dreams. You view it as them deliberately trying to do something to make your day harder, which is so ridiculous because they aren't, they aren't giving you a hard time. They are having one. They are having a hard time. And honestly, like we all have trigger stack, like all have trigger stacking issues, both us and the horses. So this isn't to say that people need to be completely mistake-free and infallible in training because you will get frustrated sometimes, especially if you've been conditioned to respond with frustration to every misbehavior you see. It's going to be hard to let go of that frustration immediately all the time. But as soon as you start doing that and start finding a better means of coping with that frustration and addressing the behavior, you'll find you're happier, you're less stressed, you're less worked up, you're less angry, and you'll enjoy training more because it's no longer being viewed as a battle if the horse doesn't do what you want it to do. And honestly, like, I can attest to the fact that, like, this has helped my mental health exponentially and I would gather like I I don't like listening to my recordings over again so I haven't re-listened to old podcasts but if you go back like a couple of years or whenever this podcast was started or even on my YouTube videos there's probably a very different tone even within the last couple of years and it's because I have done like a lot of therapy and a lot of growing and a lot of learning and studying horses that has completely reformed the way I view things and it's as a result even just the horse studies have reformed how I think of humans and other animals and even if I can understand that there's an underlying motivation for the behavior of like another person who might frustrate me sometimes it's it's hard to not react with frustration and it's something that I still have to continually work on even still because again I spent like a good decade plus of my riding career being taught to take out my frustration on horses and like what we do with reconditioning and counter conditioning our horses I had to recondition my behavior and that's a lot harder to do because you're biased in your own favor and I wasn't ready to deal with a lot of that and address a lot of it right away it took me a lot of time to get comfortable admitting my mistakes and really working on my behavioral growth and Again, like even me taking myself to therapy, that's a privilege that we're not granted in society because it's expensive. Like for me to go to therapy once a week, I'm looking at like $300 or more a month. And this is with me having access to like a therapist that offers a sliding scale and I get a reduced rate. A lot of people would be having to spend four to $600 a month to go to therapy. So it's not accessible, but it is helpful. Um, and Again, all of that starts with, like, having the ability to critically think and self-reflect. And you can therapize yourself. I don't know if that's a word, but I'm going to use it as one. You can therapize yourself by following a lot of these, like, self-help therapists or people, psychologists online that offer free resources that explain certain concepts because it'll help you develop a better relationship with yourself by realizing toxic behaviors starting to learn and acknowledge the underlying motivation behind them and start to address that and you'll learn healthier ways of coping with things as a result. So the lack of accessibility to therapy in this world and the lack of ability to address mental health issues and the amount of stigma we have towards those things are huge problems. However, with the online world being how it is today, there are some options to get some level of help for free and they can help you. And I highly recommend doing that in, in, con in conjunction with like relearning your bias, your horse, uh, unlearning your horse biases and doing the research online and, and doing your own research. Because even with like what I say, people can like what I say on my podcast, they can like the videos I post and they can agree with most of what I say, but I'm not asking you to take my word for things. Go and look it up yourself, look up the science behind it, and question me all you want, man, because I'm still actively learning and learning new things. And every time I take a new class, I learn something new. And 
It's okay to question people even if you like them. You can have relationships with trainers and riders and not always see eye to eye with them and that's okay. There's just certain things that for me will cross into the territory of being such a major welfare issue that even if I can coexist with a rider or a trainer, if they're going to actively talk about that welfare issue like it's not a problem, I'm not in a position anymore where I can listen to that and not argue with them or not give them my side and say, like, actually, that's completely disproven from a scientific perspective, even if you believe it yourself. I can't do that anymore. And that's a boundary that I have set. I can coexist with people just fine, but if they're going to try to argue with me on science-based fact, I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt of not giving information that might make them uncomfortable. If you want to deny science, that is your right to do so as a free living individual who can come to your own decisions, but it's no one's job to enable you in doing that when you're doing it publicly. So if you want to believe misinformation, everyone is entitled to that belief, but if you're going to loudly declare that you believe in something that's scientifically disproven on a public forum, you deserve to be called out and you are welcoming yourself to that because science is the search for truth, which is why when we learn more, it changes, which is why dominance theory, which is initially, like, perpetuated by a science who did research on wolves, that's why we no longer buy into it, because the scientist continued to research. He learned more and realized what he had done and really regretted it after he'd learned more, because the information he put out was from a lack of ability to view the whole picture. And even people who are scientists and researchers, until you know something, you're not going to know you don't know it. So when you're doing research, all you can do is offer the information that's there as you find it. And if it gets altered later, that means the scientists and the scientific community has done work to prove that something that they initially believed was no longer a problem is actually a problem or it changes how you think certain things. Like we see it even with medicine. There's a number of medications that used to be legal to give people that they later found out caused massive health issues like thalidomide and they're no longer used. And this isn't that the doctors who were prescribing them back in the day were lying to people. It's that they did not know that they caused those issues. And as soon as they did, it altered how people do things. And this is what we need to remember when we are, like, referencing science, is that if it changes, it doesn't mean that the science is not credible. In fact, it means it's more credible because someone is going back on initial claims after discovering more information and realizing it's wrong. And... This is why it's good to critically think and to have questions and to not blindly believe everything you read and to be open to things changing. But if all of the scientific information that we have on something is pointing in a certain direction, or at least the vast majority of it, then that's the direction that we should reasonably be heading in and believing because science has no bias, whereas trainers have bias, individual people have bias. Science is the journey to achieve information and find it and learn about it without bias, which is why they have all these hoops you have to jump through before you can get a peer-reviewed study published. It allows for people to provide information that is a lot harder to misrepresent than what you can do from, like, the traditional, like, opinion-based expert, like a horse trainer and someone that is solely sharing their opinion, and even if they use science-based aspects, they can still sway from what science is telling us if they don't personally believe it or if it's easier to not believe it. So this is what I want to encourage people, and this applies to more than just horse training, like it's something you can even use when thinking about COVID and referencing the vaccines. If all of the information that we have done and have had done on large enough sample sizes and had the same results repeatedly or similar results repeatedly, if all of the information or the vast majority of it that we have points in a certain direction in the scientific school of thought, that's the direction that you should most heavily believe in until there's merit on your opposing side to believe it. Otherwise, like, what people do is they'll look for um, confirmation bias, which is a logical fallacy where people will specifically only look for what supports the view they already believe, and they will ignore all of the overwhelming information that is on the opposing side. And you see this with people who don't want to believe that horses need turnout, you'll see people be like, oh, well, my horse is stalled 24-7 and has been his whole life, and he hasn't colicked, so it must not increase the risk of colic. Or you'll see it with people who are anti-vax or believe COVID is a conspiracy. 
they'll find like one video where someone puts on a lab coat and claims to be a doctor or maybe they are a doctor in the case but it'll be one doctor saying what they want to hear and then they'll take that and run with it when there's like a whole surplus of studies on the opposing side showing why that person might be ignorant and wrong because like the other thing to consider is that like there are people have underlying motivations for presenting certain information and that's why I like peer-reviewed studies and people like that because even if people are following science you have to consider the possibility of personal biases and um even if someone's a doctor or in the medical sector there could be a reason why they have a personal bias against the common school of thought science-wise and until there's enough proof on their side to prove that their personal bias actually has scientific merit it's not something you should take and run with because in theory someone could offer a doctor or a scientist a lot of money to publicly push a certain point of view and the person offering them the incentive to do so probably has an underlying financial incentive or some other reason to push that but they're trying to perpetuate it as being like factual information because that's what benefits them but even someone who is educated could have underlying motives to go against the grain of education is all I'm saying so this is why critical thinking is important it's also important to like actually look into how hard it is to publish a peer-reviewed study and do all these things that account for a lot of the scientific information we have because it is so much harder than just googling something you want to see and then sharing it and being like see I was right um, peer-reviewed studies are no joke it's not easy to do and we do a lot of the people who put all that work in to get that information for us and make it fairly accessible we do them such a disservice by believing that we as like individuals can even do a fraction of what they do in terms of research and actually have it be hold up even remotely closely and yeah so it, it it's just one of those things where it's like it can be really hard to acknowledge where you might be mistaken or what you don't know and it can make you feel like you're not smart enough or you're not good enough um but all of those feelings are your responsibility as a person and sorry i just hiccuped or burped but um they're all your responsibility as a person and it's no one's responsibility to um to like help you grapple with the conflicting emotions you might feel when you're presented with information that questions your beliefs. It's no one's responsibility to help you with that but yours and how you deal with it and react to it is 100% on you. And I completely understand how hard it can be to undo old biases and admit that things that you've done to your horse in the past weren't the nicest or that there's a better way of doing things. It's really hard to do because it makes you feel like you're not a good enough horse person or that you've wronged your horse. And that sucks. But what would be even worse than that is continuing down the same path that you've always done and continuing to cause more harm out of sheer stubbornness. And this is what I want people to consider is that um, it it's better to question your biases and try to learn as you grow and to be open to being wrong and to deal with that than it is to stubbornly stick with what you think you know and believe despite the overwhelming evidence on the other side. And yeah, so it, it's... I, like, I, I totally... Like, I, I don't know how to word this. I would totally get the struggle of having to admit to your wrongs and how hard that can be. Um, however, it's like a necessary part of growing and the sooner you can accomplish this, the sooner and more able you are to grow and continue developing into like a really successful person who will be more able to handle your own emotions and question your own biases and learn and grow from that as a result. Like I can't even like begin to like quantify how much this has helped me with my mental health and helped me with how I'm able how I'm able to train and fix horses like horses that I've been able to help now there's no way in hell I would have been able to fix them with previous methodology that was so far off being scientifically correct and having merit from like a behavioral standpoint I can make way more of a difference now and it's because I put the work in to change my biases and try to undo a lot of the bad behaviors that I was encouraged to do by professionals and people that I trusted and put the work into learning and going to school and studying and doing all that stuff. And this isn't to say that you need to go to school to learn these things. A lot of this information is accessible online enough that you can learn it. 
um, it's just all put together and more structured and you have more access to like university databases and stuff if you do the schooling. However, it's not a necessity. I have a resources page on my website, milestoneequestrian.ca, that has a lot of these studies linked. I haven't updated it in the last year. I need to add more stuff to it, and I intend on doing that this year when I have more time. Um, but that's a really good start if you're looking for how you can start looking up studies, what search engines to use, what sources are credible, how to define a credible source, and just where to start with finding this information. Because I think that finding more information and just learning more about things so that you can understand them better makes it a whole lot easier to accept and to have like sit with you. Um, so I highly recommend doing that. But anyways, this is just a bit of a shorter podcast than what I typically do because I just wanted to talk about that while it was on my mind and compare it to like the human experience because I'm hoping that'll help people develop a little bit more empathy for their horses, especially with the pre the pandemic of the last year. A lot of us have been isolated and cooped up more than we are used to and we have had it impact us mentally. So I would encourage people to apply that feeling of like being having to force yourself to mask behaviors or being trapped and like that frustration of not having control to apply that to your horse and really consider how they feel because a lot of horses lack so much autonomy that their lives don't get to have a lot of happiness and since animals live completely in the moment like they're so in the present which is so great in some ways but it's bad in the sense that if their present is overwhelmingly stressful or unfulfilling then that's just their entire life. If your horse exists within a 12 by 12 box 24 hours a day or a small paddock or with no friends and they're just bored standing there existing all the time, that's their whole life. They spend their whole time waiting for you to come to the barn because that's probably the most exciting part of their day. And yeah, they probably do get excited to see you in these cases because otherwise they do not leave their stall. And like, that's great that it makes people feel good. Um, and it's not to say that horses can only be excited to see you if they are unfulfilled, but I want people to consider, like, how many hours a day their horse is spending just existing in a less than ideal environment. Um, like, ever since I started living on the same property as my horses, I've noticed how much stuff they actually do together. Everything from, like, napping to eating to playing to just spending time with each other. Like, they are very, very good friends. They develop very strong, complex bonds with each other, and not being able to do that is such a deficit to their welfare. And I want people to consider, like, think about your day, the 24 hours of your day, your daily time budget, how much time you spend working, how much time you spend sleeping, eating, hanging out with friends, doing stuff that makes you feel fulfilled, and so on. And then consider your horse's daily time budget and really think about yourself being in their actual living situation and what you would do with your time. And obviously, as a human, you need more stimulation mentally than a horse might, but just think about your horse's living situation and whether or not it seems boring to spend that that many hours in with no change the same thing day after day because there's always things you can do to benefit their situation even if it's as small as just adding toys and treat balls and stuff for enrichment you can better their immediate situation doing little things and then the more you think about it and sit with it and think about how you want to change it that allows you to make the longer term changes that might be a little bit harder to do like if you were to move barns or look for different types of facilities and so on or move your horse onto different boarding options at your current barn but really consider what your horse's daily time budget looks like because what we do for modern horse care it has been proven in a lot of different studies on a lot of different levels to be less than ideal, much like the human experience with how we are forced to live in this capitalistic world. And, like, we need to change the human experience and be more sensitive to mental health and me mental trauma because mental health is, like, also the same. It's just health, you know? Like, physical health is health. Mental health is health. If your heart started malfunctioning, people would take it seriously. But when the brain starts malfunctioning, despite it being the very organ that controls, like, our entire body and accounts for our entire being, people just, like, shrug it off. And I bet that a lot of our health issues and disordered behaviors and stuff that we see are actually a direct result of our environment, much like what we see with horses. Like, their number one mortality risk, colic, greatly increased with stalling and lack of forage and chronic stress and guess what causes a lot of that our management and training styles for horses 
So if we adapt that, we can make their lives better and we can make our lives better. And it's just something to think about when we're reforming this world for the better. Because for me personally, like I don't want to see young kids growing up having to deal with the same stuff I did and having to feel not heard or having to do stuff to horses that they weren't comfortable with, but being so encouraged to do it by everyone that they just, they get indoctrinated. I don't want to see kids doing that. Similarly, I don't want to see children who are struggling from neuro di- with neurodivergency and don't don't feel accepted, don't get any help, don't get told why they're different or who they're different or how they can think differently or ways to address their mental differences and just feeling alone and like on the outside of society and helpless and not knowing why they're different or why they struggle with certain things or why teachers are meaner to them for not being able to sit still enough or this or that. I would love to see that stigma removed so that people don't have to grow up the same way that I had to with all of those struggles. Like it's not something that anyone should have to go through. And this is what I hope to do with my podcast is just talk about this stuff, try to normalize it and word it in a way that is like casual enough for people to be really receptive to and hopefully learn from and then take it with them to help benefit their mental health and change their lives and make themselves happier because like honestly I spent so many years being like wickedly unhappy and struggling with so many issues and behavioral problems and frustrations and lashing out at people I cared about and being angry with my horses and it was so many wasted years of that toxic mentality that I could have addressed earlier if I'd just known how to start and I'm hoping to help people do the same thing because it's no way to live but Anyways, I hope that this podcast was interesting for people. Um, I really appreciate all of those of you who support my podcast and listen to them. We just recently hit 20,000 downloads um, in the last like six months because I just started using a new podcast provider. So that's 20,000 downloads just since I switched providers back in May or June of last of 2021, um, which is incredible. So thank you so much for your support. And uh, just a reminder, I do have my other social pages like Instagram and TikTok, S-D-E-Q-U-U-S is my name, my website, milestoneequestrian.ca. I also have a Patreon channel that allows people access to behind the scenes looks at the product development that I'm doing with my store, as well as asking training questions, seeing training videos, and getting access to free tutorials and stuff that I don't post on YouTube. Um, And there's different tiers for that. They start at as little as $1, and that just kind of helps with the upkeep cost of the podcast and whatnot because I do have to buy stuff like this nifty new microphone which hopefully people like I used it in my last podcast and in this one um and yeah so I I have all that stuff and then I also have my store with like my anatomical bridles and some other stuff that'll be coming out in the following weeks or months so I recommend you stay tuned those are available on amor equestrian a-m-o-r-e equestrian.ca and they're under the milestone tab. I also have some really cool new saddle pads that I released and they're super cute. One of them has hedgehogs on them. Really cute. Recommend checking it out. But anyways, thank you for checking out my pages and I appreciate all of your love and support. And yeah, just by sharing my podcasts and listening to them, you are helping support my business and I really appreciate it. And I hope that this helps some people with anything they've been struggling with. And if you have been struggling, I hope your struggles get easier because no one deserves that. So have a splendid afternoon or day or night, wherever you are, and continue just being on the pursuit of happiness and contentment. Good job, guys, and have a good life.